0: Here with me, we have Terrence and Cam. If you two just want to introduce yourself real quick.
1: Yeah, so uh, my name's Terry Scraggins. Uh, I'm from Boise, uh, born and raised. I served in the Navy for about three and a half years. Um, just graduated from Boise State with my bachelor's in social work and I'm working in child welfare. And I would just kind of say, I feel like I have a bleeding heart for social justice and social equity. Um, I've done a lot of advocating and work, uh, advocating for LGBTQ plus youth, particularly foster youth and youth of color. So that's a little bit about me.
2: Um, And my name is Cam, I use they them pronouns and I've lived in Boise for, oh gosh, I think three years now. Um, I have been going to Boise State University, um, but I'm from Indianapolis, so somewhere that's a lot more like diverse than Boise and I moved here and it was like oh my gosh and finding community in Boise especially like fellow LGBTQ and fellow black community um, and navigating that is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, Making sure that incoming like first-year students and people who move to Boise also have that same network so I'm super excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Someone asked if either of you can help explain the difference between the term black and the term African-American.
1: Hmm, That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, Cam, you got something while I think or do you need a second? I can think on my feet too.
2: (laughs) I think the only thing that I can really think of is that like, so it's like the, analogy for a square so like not all African or all African African Americans are black but not all people that are black are African Americans. That's the only thing I can think of.
1: Yeah and I mean I think that I can I think that I agree with that. Um, Yeah I've, I've like literally never had anyone ask that question ever before.
2: Yeah, same.
1: So, I would say that's, yeah, you did a great job of answering it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think also, like...
0: It looks like we might be having some technical difficulties at the moment. While we wait for Cam to hop back on, um, Terrence, if you wanted to just talk about your own personal experience um, in Idaho as part of the Black experience.
1: Yeah, so i was born and raised in boise um grew up here and it's funny because a lot of people i feel like that question comes up a lot and i'm also super kind of like forthcoming in how i talk about my experience um but for the longest time growing up like i was the only person of color and so i have always for the longest time I thought that like I was maybe my thinking was skewed or I used to think that people would just like treat me differently but I didn't know why so like it almost kind of made me feel like I was making things up and then as I started doing research and getting more like educated I guess um, it helped me to kind of like understand the disparities and like social inequalities. That people of color of color experience, and so it actually wasn't until I got into the social work program at Boise State that I started like really understanding how serious it was because I don't think that in idaho and I mean it may have changed a little bit since I was in elementary, junior high, and high school, but uh I think that it just isn't taught like black history just isn't taught and we have a tendency as the state to kind of like skim over um, the importance of slavery and the importance of uh, racial profiling and things of that nature kind of to make it seem like, oh, there's not a problem, but there is a problem. There just aren't enough Black people in Idaho (laughs) to like say something about it. Or if they are, there, a lot of times I feel like they are stereotyped as just being the loud black person um, but it's just that the the capacity or the, the avenue hasn't been out there to talk about it. Um, yeah I don't yeah I think that answers the question.
0: <laughs> um, that actually does feed into another question that I got before this presentation, and that is, what role do you think? that K through 12 education on anti-racism plays in smaller communities, um, especially throughout rural Idaho where the communities are um, predominantly homogenous and white.
1: Do you mean like the uh, the lack of education or like if anti-racism is like taught? I guess I don't understand the question. I would
0: say more, the lack of education on anti-racism?
1: Oh, I mean, I think that it's one, ho- I think that it definitely plays into K through 12 education. Uh, I mean, I, from, from my own personal experience as a person of color who grew up in Idaho, um, I myself struggled with my own racial identity and, being told that I like wasn't acting black enough because I wasn't speaking in like stereotypical language or um, being treated differently, um, literally just because of the color of my skin. I think that by not having those, there's like education and like those measures in place to teach people and help them understand what's going on in like the history of African-Americans is a huge, a huge thing. Um, Cam, what do you think?
2: Sorry, I missed the first half of that question.
0: So what role does K-12 education on anti-racism play in smaller communities, like the rural communities in Idaho where the population is mostly homogenous and mostly white?
2: Oh, gosh. I think it's like, like, if students are are being taught that, like, that like it's uh, not appropriate to talk about race in school and then they go to any other place when they're older like and they're taught that like we're not supposed to talk about this like we like we're not supposed to see color and then it like it automatically subtracts them from like a really really important conversation that needs to be had and like i so when i started at bsu i was an education major i'm not anymore just cuz education is really hard But like, I took a diversity in the classroom, like a class about teaching diversity. And like, we would start talking about race and everyone in the class that wasn't a person of color would automatically like try and divert the the, to like talking about gender or sexuality or or, um, disability. And I'm like, all of these things are important. And you're going to have students that um, have disability, are queer, are transgender, but you're still going to have students that are Black, and so having those conversations is, like, really, really young is super important, and when kids don't get that, I feel like they miss out so much, because, like, you're also missing out on the culture when you don't teach race, Mm. because, uh, like, like, coming here, it felt like I couldn't share my culture at all, and it was, like, whoa, like, (laughs) I like. I want to be able to share all the things that I learned when I was growing up, and I couldn't because, like, the things that I learned and that I was taught had to do with race, and that was considered taboo. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think to kind of add to that as well, Cam, um, you kind of like speaking that and talking about that. I feel like I definitely like my own personal stuff. I feel like I missed a lot. I missed out on a lot of heritage and cultural backgrounds. Um, especially being raised by primarily white people, uh, that it was, I didn't really associate myself as black um, until I would say probably like five or seven years ago and even more so like since then, just because I didn't have that knowledge and there wasn't really like, I didn't have that, I wasn't compelled to learn more um, just because it wasn't readily available, not that, like, we should definitely do our own research and stuff, but, like, there really nothing was taught, <laughs> so I completely, I, I I completely agree with that.
2: And, like, especially, because I am very privileged in the fact that I'm from a place where there are a lot of people of color, and there are a lot of Black people, and um, I'm also mixed, but um, my mom is Mexican, so I never really had to, like, I I didn't have whiteness to interact with and navigate, and I think that I have a lot of privilege in that because I like I don't know a lot about like how white folks grow up, but I know about like the way that I grew up and the way my friends grew up, and we were invited to celebrate our like our culture and our heritage, and it wasn't something that was so like that was so taboo, and it like I recognize that I have so much privilege in that because I have friends that are here that were like, that are from Idaho, were adopted by white folks that like, they never got the, the chance to experience blackness and navigate blackness with other black folks. Especially cause like, if you're from rural Idaho, it's like, if you're black, you're probably the only one, which sucks, but like, that's kind of Idaho's reality.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And Cam, a quick question for you is, do you mind talking about your own um, Black experience in Idaho, especially since yours will be different than Terrence's, especially as an outsider to Idaho, moving here?
2: Yeah. um, So me and my friends that are not from here, we love to say that Boise State got us. They definitely tricked us with their marketing because they, like, you see, like, Black people in their marketing, like, I'm going to go to Boise State. And that's what I did. And I was like, whoa like and especially like I started living with white people when I was in the dorm and I was like y'all don't even like they didn't wash their chicken before they like cooked it and like it was little things that like that that I grew up doing and it it was such a culture shock coming here and like pretty much having to like code switch even when I'm in my own living space and like it's so funny because I'll like get on the phone with my friends from back home, and it's like a complete 180 switch. Like, i like it doesn't even feel like I'm the same person. And my mm-hmm. friends will be like, "Why are you talking like that?" I'm like, "Oh, like, <laughs> like." Yeah. And it, I think that it's been difficult, but like the support systems that I do have, like have absolutely changed my life. Like, I was a sad, alone freshman living in the dorms, staying in my dorm, like all the time, and finally, um, so I was in Trio, and my mentor was like, well, why don't you come to this event with me, and it was Taco Tuesday at Boise State's campus, and I went, and I was like, wait a minute, look at all these people of color, well, like, where have they been hiding, like, Mm -hmm. and um, so I was sitting down, I was, like, so scared to even, like, open my mouth, and um, at the end, someone came up to me, and Her name was Sierra, and she was the president of uh, what is now the Black Student Association. And, like, she just, like, started having a conversation. with She was like, you have to come. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, there there are more people like me. There are more people who, like, also, like, there's nothing wrong with having white friends. But, like, having black friends that you can relate to on a cultural, spiritual, like, emotional level that something that, like, a white person just can never understand was it was like bliss <laughs> and it's gotten a lot better but also like especially now like Idaho is like it's not always going to be the safest place and even now there's supposed to be a protest tonight and there are people talking about going in like Nazi gear to counter protest and it's like at at those times i don't feel safe being black in Idaho but i think that i have the support system that like is always gonna back me up if I do wanna go to those things, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. No, and that's really good that you do have that support system and that support systems like that do exist in Idaho. Um, Would either of you say that events like Pride um, help representation in Idaho or Boise?
2: Do you mean like black representation or queer representation?
0: I would like
2: <laughs> both actually. Um. um, I I think that not really because when you go to Pride, it's like it's kind of just as wide as everything else, but also like I have a lot of qualms with the Pride that we know it today because, um, like the like oh what's the word I'm looking for like the the highlight on, like, fetish communities that there makes it a very unsafe environment for young queer people and, and asexual queer people who are, like, sex repulsed, so I have my own, like, I have my own pride, but also I think that, like, the community aspect could be really positive if it weren't so much a party and, like, community gathering, you know,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: also I love a good party now and then, but, like, I think doing that grassroots work that Pride was intended to be and what, like, like, our queer role models intended it to be is something that, like, I'd want also to be focused on, like, during Pride Month.
1: Yeah, I would agree um, in that sense of, like, no matter where you go in Idaho, like, there's not going to be a lot of people of color. (laughs) so like in the sense of is it representing people of color like queer people of color I would say yes a little bit Um, I don't think that it's it's necessarily meant for that even though if you look at like historically the LGBTQ plus community and the trans uh, individuals that have been killed and like kind of how everything started um I would say it's a good place for like just the community, but I agree with Cam and that it doesn't really, it really is focused on like the party aspect and maybe not so much the importance of the event itself.
0: Have either of you experienced any racial profiling in Idaho? Always. All
2: the time. I get followed, I, I can tell every time I go into Target, I don't know what the guy's name is, because I don't want to look at his name tag, because I will find him on Facebook, but every time I go to Target, I see him, and I'm like, well, can't, like, might as well, I can't put my hands in my pockets, um, I, like, if I have a cart, my hands can't be, like, in the cart, I can't take my person to Target, it's, like, but it's so weird, because I'm used to it, you know, Mm -hmm. like. The fact that I can I know his face and I like look for him I'm like where is he hiding this time like because I've never stolen from Target I don't think I've ever the only thing I've ever stolen in my life was 25 cents from my grandma <laughs> and like um, mm-hmm. so like to know that like they're there it's kind of like when I'm in it they even do it when I'm with my white friends and I'm like whoa a twist like and it's so funny because like I'll go and my white friends don't notice it but I do because I'm like mm-hmm. I know what you look like bro I see you all the t- every time I'm here I see you so absolutely yeah.
1: yeah it it's like we're answering the same questions cam like the exact same way because same um I totally I've definitely been racially profiled in stores where I've been followed around but like people don't think that I realize that they're following me around but like you can tell when you're like oh I just saw you um, and then I have been pulled over a couple of times where I wasn't speeding because I kind of drive just barely above the speed limit but it's also I mean it's also an interesting thing I was chatting with someone about kind of like racial profiling and like the experience of a person of color and just how they think and you don't even like in the current climate that we're in as a country, with all of the things going on with uh, Black Lives Matter and things like that, um, and just social and like racial equality, I was telling someone we were having a discussion. I was telling them like, it's really hard in Idaho specifically, but just in general, but very much in Idaho, to not see just a like a stereotypical like white person. <laughs> And I say that, like, very loosely, um, and not think that they have some sort of, like, preconceived notions about you being Black. And when I said that, and she herself is uh, a, a white person, and she was saying to me, like, you know what's crazy about that? Is you shouldn't have to have that double conscience. She's like, I don't have to think about that. I don't have to, like, check my thinking and, like, making a stereotype about them. And so that I super random like rabbit hole thing, but I just wanted to share because I'm sitting here kind of like thinking about how when I see someone on the street, I assume maybe sometimes assume that they have like certain thoughts or um, thoughts about the African-American or Black or just POC community, but then I have to like check myself. Um, and I don't think or I know, at least based off of her experience, she's like, I'd I'd never even have to think about that. Um, But yeah, definitely been racially profiled. I'll get back to, like, the topic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) topic, We have
0: a question for Cam. Have you ever tried to point out the person at Target to your white friends? Oh, all the time.
2: Every time, like, if I've been with a different white person at Target, like, if I see them, I'm like, oh, hey, he follows me around every time that I'm here. I'm sh- they're like, oh, no, like, you're probably just being dramatic. And I'm like, and then they like, I'm like, there he is. Like, I'll point him out. And they're like, wait, does he do this every time you're here? I'm like, yes. Like, I can't even imagine what he does around someone that's darker than me. Like, and it's like, I always try and, like, point things out, especially, mm-hmm. like, because Tara, I, pro- I know you probably feel this, like. When you're just anywhere and there's the white person that's like is that really a black person and I'd idaho like just just looking and you're like i'm here i'm real <laughs> like like i i point out things like that to them too i'm like
1: especially <laughs> in the more rural parts of like i know like i went up to cordelaine oh my gosh that was the oh. scary experience
2: <laughs> yeah see i like um I go to like my I have family in Ontario, and I'll go like see them, and I like stop somewhere in Ontario, and people like there are a lot more people of color in Ontario, but there are not that many like black folks, and so I'll go to like the gas station, and people will, like turn their heads because Ontario is also a really small town, so like you're used to seeing the same people, and it's like a different person, and they're black. What is going on? You know. <laughs>
0: Um, Terrence, how did your experience in the military expand your knowledge of um black issues after coming from Idaho?
1: Um, I can say that I I realized that there were a lot more black people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can also say that I I think at least based on like what I experienced and like how I saw other people um, kind of like function in the military that racism is just as rampant in the military as it is in general society. Um, I saw a lot of people do, of color doing a lot of work and not get recognized for it. And I'm not even just talking about like black or African-American people. Um but I mean it also I think that it also helped me to understand like there were a lot of people of color that I met and I had relationships that I wouldn't have had otherwise um and so I I'm thankful for that Uh, but I would say that just based off my own personal experience serving the Navy there's the same the same problems that we have as a country are just as intense, if not maybe more compounded um, in the military based off of my own experience. But um, yeah, I tend to look on the positive side. So I think overall I had a good experience, but I definitely experienced like my own personal um, kind of like biases, like toward people and their biases towards me um, serving, even though I felt like I constantly worked the hardest that I possibly could have, but didn't get a whole lot of recognition. Not that I'm looking for that, but yeah, say it's about the same.
0: <laughs> um, Cam, did was there anything that the locals of Boise um, did to make you feel welcome when you actually moved to Boise after realizing that Bo- Boise as a city is not as diverse as you initially thought?
2: I don't think. Boise as a whole did, and I don't really think that Boise State did. I think that it was those communities who have had those same experiences and, like, want to help people have the best time possible and have the most successful career at Boise State that did. Like, um, uh, I saw, like, when we started, one of my mentors from TRIO, Anna, is, like, in the, in this meme, but, like, if it weren't for her, I would not have gotten out of my shell as much as I did. And as like a fellow Latina person, she like did the work for me to be involved in so many things and so did my other mentor Adriana. Like they did that work so that I like cuz after my first semester I was like I can't do this anymore. Like I have to get out of here. And my mom was like, "Listen, we at least have to do a full year." And I was like, "Okay." And when I came back, like they were such a big support system, but I don't think that like Boise as a whole has been, because they're like, Boise has so much learning to do. From what, even from when I've been here, there has been growth, but like Boise State has been on like been on track to become um, a Latina serving institution, and I don't think that Boise State does enough for their students and does enough for especially for their like students that speak predominantly Spanish to actually have that title because you can have the numbers, but are you actually providing the resources that are needed for those students? And like wholeheartedly, I can't say that Boise State does. They've done a lot of work, but I don't think that they're there yet. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Speaking of resources, what do both of you think could happen in Idaho to further diversity education? Um, And then also kind of a 2 pond question, what, ex- what were your experiences with teachers throughout your k-12 through education i know camp you will be different um were you adequately supported by your teachers and counselors with diversity
1: um so in terms of i totally missed like the very last part of the question but i got the first couple parts so you can just let me know. Um, In terms of, like, K through 12 and my experience, um, I definitely felt like I was treated differently when I was younger, Um, like, kindergarten, first grade, um, just based on, like, the way that I was reprimanded or, like, disciplined in comparison to, like, my peers. Um, I also have my own, I have lots of intersectionality, so I had like my own stuff going on with my family and stuff, too. Uh, but overall, I think that I had a pretty good experience. Um, I did have one experience w- in sixth grade uh, where I could never like point it out openly, but I definitely felt like I was discriminated against, and I had a teacher that actually threatened to like fail me. Uh, Based off of like handwriting, and I'm like, I feel like that's ex, like excessive. I don't know. Um, I forget what the other question was in terms of
0: oh, um, how to further diversity education. Like, do you have any recommendations or,
1: thoughts? yeah, so to like, I think that to a diversify education, like, some of the best things that we could do as a community is. If they're willing, kind of like recruit or ask more people of color. I know there's not a lot, I know, but like ask people of like more people of color if they're interested in like their own uh, experiences and like being stakeholders. And also, I think that we just need to amp up the education, honestly, for just teachers and just people in general. I, I really don't think that a lot. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, don't think that a lot of people are inherently racism, inherently racist. There are a few, Um, there are some people, but I truly think that it's, it's what a lot of people think. The way that they think and their processes, I think, they have a, like, they're thinking a certain way for a reason. And so I think if we can educate and like, provide more resources as to like the historical background that we could move mountains but I don't think that there's the support I don't think that there's the funding not to mention teachers don't get paid enough as it is like in this current day and age and we just are facing another huge budget cut so I guess I don't really have a legitimate answer but those would be like dream answers
2: Yeah, and I think mine was, like, super different, because, like, one of the first teachers that I had was a black woman, and, like, she, like, I was always, like, really big goody, goody two-shoes, because I was terrified of, like, because teachers can punish me all they want, but nothing is more scary than, like, disappointing my mom, <laughs> and not even, like, it's not, like, oh, like, I'm gonna have like physical repercussions, but like just knowing that my mom's gonna be disappointed is like ooh. But Mm -hmm. like my first like my first teachers were black and they like they had gone like they know what it's like to be black and like going into like elementary school, I didn't really have those like a lot of the teachers in my school were black as well. Um, except like I distinctly remember one of the teachers that I had, um, like, I think that she just needed, like, a break, because she would just, like, scream at all the Black kids, and, like, it was, like, it was scary, and it was hard to, like, deal with, but, like, then going in, like, the next year, the teacher I had, um, he was the first male teacher I had, but not the first Black teacher I had, and I remember, like, telling my mom, I was like, he's gonna be mean, like I'm gonna have a boy teacher and I don't want it. And this was fourth grade, and I heard from him the other day, like he was probably one of the biggest positive impacts in my life, like education wise. And just like seeing how much he cared about students, like and how much effort that he put in, that's one of the reasons I wanted to be an educator. Um, And like even going into high school, like we, so my high school had four different principals, and two of the four principals that we had were Black, and that, like, there were always Black folks in leadership, Black teachers that I had, um, that were supportive, and, like, my, um, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but my counselor in middle school is one of the reasons that, like, me and my mom have such, like, a healthy relationship, talking about, like, depression and anxiety, and all those positive influences that I had, like, made me so confident in myself and my blackness that when I came to Boise State, I was like, I can do this, like, like, nothing is going to diminish my blackness, because at the end of the day, people are going to look at me and say, that person is black, and that's never going to change, and I don't want that to change, because I love who I am, I love that I have been given the opportunities that I have but at the same time, like, like, my experiences from Terry are going to be completely different because, like, where I'm from is predominantly people of color, and also, like, I, like, I can't even imagine what it's, like, doing school here, because I, like, did service learning in, K, in like, K through 12, and it would like, it was terrifying. I was, like, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of here, like, it's, it's scary to be in such a different place that has so much less funding than what I grew up with. Like seeing the difference and seeing like how like how students are treated like it as much as I want to like be in that system to make a difference like I like I give so 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 much credit to educators and counselors and social workers because it's such hard work to be a child support system and then like you have to send send them home and you don't know what happens. Like I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that is. And like especially like going back and talking to the teachers that I had and like knowing like the impact that they had on me, but also like hearing the impact that I had on them is like like I didn't realize that even when I was little I had this much power, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wish that it's something that like every kid learns that you could have so, so much power and ability to, to change the world, and I know that sounds, like, cliche and corny, but, like, every kid does, and they just need to be steered in that right direction to know that they, that they can do so much, and, like, it starts when you're in school, and when you're, like, in those formative years of getting love and support and education, like, how much can change, like, the way you grow up. I know I kind of just went on a tangent, but Education is something that I'm like really, really passionate about.
1: You still stayed on topic. You didn't go off topic. <laughs> what are you talking
2: about?
0: Fine. Um, that's really. I think that does ring true for a lot of people. What you just said, Cam. Um, do you either of you have any examples of a white person, or someone who's like, identifying and attempting to be an ally, doing more harm than good?
2: Um, so, actually, recently, there was someone that was involved in, like, the Black Lives Matter protest, and, like, they were, like, I don't want to say any names, because it, like, I don't want to, like, get anybody in trouble, because I had a conversation with this person, but, like, they were trying to measure the way that people of color show up for Black Lives Matter events, and, like, for me, I, like, it's very hard for me to look at as someone who is Black and queer, and, like, I have Black family and a Black nephew, and knowing that, like, I don't want to watch one of those videos one day, and it be, like, someone that I care about, and just knowing that, like, every time you see one of those videos, it's someone that someone cares about, and, like, they were sharing videos of, like, Black people being killed by police, and, like, Black people being beat up by police, and, like, talking about the way that people of color um show up for these events not realizing the harm and the safety levels like in Boise it's not as safe to come to these events as much as like people want to but like people are getting arrested for walking down the street and it's not just black people and so like trying to police the way that black folks can show up right now and what and the capacity that black folks have like it's really a person to person basis because I know black folks that are like, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's burn stuff down. And I'm like, I, like, I don't have the emotional energy for this. And it's really like, and Terry might be like, yeah, let's go. Or Terry might be like, maybe sometimes, but it's not, it really just depends because on top of like all this stuff happening, we still have to deal with like microaggressions on a daily basis, like still trying to navigate black identity because it's something that is forever evolving and like continually having to like think about how you're gonna show up and how you're gonna support your community, but also like taking care of yourself because that's not something that black people are taught to do. Like self care is such, such, such a big part of activism that gets overlooked because like we, like, even, I mean, like, I was We're doing too busy her- fighting. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. I did a, I was doing I was doing research and I saw that like something like 50% of uh residents that are going to be doctors in I think it was like 2017 didn't think that black people could feel pain. Like ha- think about how many people feel that not just doctors but like just people in general like because we're feeling it every day because that person in those videos could be your brother, your sister, your cousin, like someone that you know and you're still expected to show up and also grieve and do self-care and it just becomes a juggling act that white people have expectations of when it's not the same grieving and pain that black folks are experiencing when stuff like this happens.
1: Yeah, I agree and I think to add to that, And to answer your question, Cam, I totally am like on the fence. It depends on the day because I 100% agree. Sometimes I'm like, this, I have to, I'm like held by a standard as a social worker, like code of ethics. And what I believe and the social work kind of like expectation is to advocate for those within marginalized and disenfranchised communities. But on that same note, I'm like, I also have to be. Careful with what I say and what I do because I need to keep my job. (laughs) So it's kind of like that double edged sword. And then to kind of answer the question of um, if I've experienced like a person, like a white person, do more harm than like good, I think it's, I don't think it was ever intentional, but I've had like many close friends that. And I think it's a microaggression. I don't think it's something that's like intentional, but um, just not speaking up in instances where I feel like I could use like a little bit of help um, with things being said, whether it's jokingly or serious. Um, So in that sense, I think that I could speak to that, but I completely agree with like the going to protests and stuff, people are like, well, there's no one here or not that many people here of color where you're like, okay but like the current day that we live in and the current situation in the climate it doesn't feel good you have just like you were saying cam you have to worry about self-care you have to worry about hearing names recited of people that have lost their lives you have people posting stuff on facebook and every other like social media platform about the the trauma that our people are going through and it's not it's just a lot to take in and then on top of that microaggressions and
2: the list just keeps going on so yeah
1: I like I appreciate that you pointed that out
2: and also like I like and on top of like all that stuff people are expecting you to like educate them and I'm like I'm tired I need to go to bed like I just got off yes. work and I, <laughs> it's like people are expecting you to continuously do free labor without like considering like anything else that's going on in your life. And I'm like, no, like someone asked me to tell them why dreads on people who aren't black is a bad thing. And I'm like, here's my Venmo. If you're not going to send me anything, I don't have the energy to have this conversation because like at the end of the day, like if you're going to pay for a textbook, if you're going to pay for, to like go to see a Ted talk, like why is my time and effort and energy any less worth? any of that because if it's because I don't have a bachelor's degree then that's like classes and like let's unpack yeah. that but like there are so many levels to like well-meaning white people that it's like
1: yeah and even you know, like people even like people saying hey are you, like when the riots and protests started and they were like real intense so many people reached out to me and we're like, are you okay? How are you feeling? And I'm like, even that's exhausting because I have to take the time to respond to every single person that's like, are you okay? How are you feeling? So, yes.
2: And like, so I worked at the Gender Equity Center for the last two years. And literally, like, I love the staff there so much because they've reached out to me when all this stuff happened, not trying to assuage their white guilt, but to like, like say like, hey, if you need me, I'm here for you. Like don't feel like i like you have to respond to me, but know that like I'm here for you and I see you and I and I care about you. And that like that means so much to have people that are like, hey, I just want to make sure you're good. And like I even had white people that I know, they didn't even reach out to me. They just sent me money and I was like, You just like bought me dinner and I not like and like it made me think know that like you're thinking about me. And that's something that like like it's the little things that like white people do not sh- to just assuage their guilt, but to actually let you know that they're there and they appreciate you and they don't want you to continue to do free labor for them.
0: Yeah, I think that ties back to our conversation last week, where Gabby mentioned about LGBTQIA um, education and how a lot of people are going to these members of the community, asking these questions, expecting. A response for free, where there is that emotional toll that it does take, especially when it's question after question. Um, Now, talking about intersectionality, which would you have to say is harder for each of you—being a person of color or being part of the LGBTQ community within Boise?
2: I think if like I had to choose, I would say being black is harder but I don't get to exist one without the other. Mm -hmm. And like, both are like, both can be really difficult, but both are parts about myself that I love. And like, I'm going to continue loving. And like, um, I think that even this question, like it can be like, like we shouldn't be asking, which is harder. We should be asking what's difficult about both of them together. Cause like, I don't get to like I don't get to exist one without one without the other like I yeah, said. You can't like, turn one off.
1: Yeah. And I I definitely agree um, but I think I don't, that's a really hard question to answer, yeah. I definitely think that they kind of, like, are one and the same, but then I throw in, like, I was just talking with someone, I had, like, a, a chat with them earlier, talking about the different intersections of people, and they work for an organization that kind of, like, promotes social justice and, like, immigration and LGBTQ and, like, people of color and, I guess for me, I don't know if I could even really answer that question because I would say it was more difficult being a person that grew up in severe poverty first m- before I could even associate or identify with being black or being gay. So, but to actually answer the question wholeheartedly, if I had to pick one or the other, I would say definitely being a person of color is more difficult um, because I think that as a culture, we're becoming a little bit more. Per- aggressive in terms of like LGBTQ, Um, there's still so far to go. But uh, I would say I'm more uncomfortable if I'm like in the store being a person of color versus being gay, because I can't hide my skin color. Not that I'm saying I ever try to hide that I'm gay anymore. I used to, but don't anymore. Um, But you can't, you literally can't hide this characteristic as a person. So I probably would have to go with that.
2: And, like, also, it's so, like, weird to see, like, how other parts of my identity intersect, like, because I also grew up, like, in poverty, but because my my mother and um, my stepfather are both Mexican, people don't attribute my, like, poverty level to them because they're not Black. And also, like, even, like, going through school, when I started to have, like, white teachers, they would, like, assume that I was not doing work, or I wasn't doing things because I was lazy, because I'm Black, like, that's a very common stereotype that Black folks are lazy, but it was because I had undiagnosed ADD, ADHD, and anxiety and depression that just made me not want to do things, and it's so interesting to see, like, all those intersections of different parts of my identity, aside from like being black and being queer.
0: Um. So there is a movement about taking the knee. How do you both personally, since it is hard to make a blanket statement about people of color and their opinions, how do you feel about white people taking the knee? Does it come across to you as Support or something else?
1: I have to ask a question super right before either of us answer this. Are we talking taking a knee for like the national anthem or are we talking taking taking a knee as in like reference to George
0: Floyd? That I don't know, so I will give the person a chance to clarify that. If you don't mind sending that clarification in the chat, that would be lovely. We'll circle back to that. Oh. The national anthem.
2: Um, for me, it, like there are layers to it because, like, there was um, folks in I think I think it was like the House of Representatives or the Senate or something that they like took a knee while wearing like Kentik cloth, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so performative. But like, if you're doing it in the way that like Colin Kaepernick did in talking to veterans and like seeing the best way to like do it and he did it in a way that was peacefully protesting it it's very different i think that like if you're taking a knee and putting your fist up and you're like that's it I'm, my activism is done for the gear like like let's let's investigate that and see like what better ways you can use your privilege to actually like support people like And thats like—that's how I felt about like the Blackout Tuesday thing, where like people who had never said the words Black Lives Matter posted their little black square and then continued to, like, partake in capitalism, partake in like things that continue, like, going outside without their masks on, things that continually and like hurt people of color disproportionately. It's like, okay, like I can like it's gotten pretty easy to like I don't want to say see through because like. Again, there are people who mean well, but like, I don't get to be surface, I like, like, they can have like surface level activism, but the surface that people see on me is black. And so that never changes.
1: Yeah. And I think as, oh, uh, it's funny that someone asked this question, because I can't tell you how many times I have seen it show up on my feed somewhere. Um especially like serving in the Navy, I have had so many people that feel different on different ends. But I would say more often than like not, even people that I've served with that have been like, that have seen that or ha- it's come up in discussion, they're like, I don't care. Like the, in in the sense of like, this is America, we're supposed to be a free country. So if you don't want like, people are signing the dotted line to serve our country and they don't care about whether or not someone is standing or kneeling because that's their right. But I mean, I've also gotten into like a lot of uh, dialogue and conversations with people about the way that they feel about it. So from like that aspect, I personally don't care. But from like a person like of color aspect, like wearing multiple hats, I also think that it is a way to kind of like speak out. But I'm not, I I still don't have like, I'm not against it. I think that it's, I personally think that it's fine if someone chooses to kneel for the national anthem. But I also agree with Cam in that, that shouldn't be all that people are doing
0: Mm -hmm. what would you recommend um, we have an attendee that would like to diversify their social media and also diversify their reading so do you either of you have go-to resources on how to broaden their perspective on social media Um, such as who they should be following on Instagram specifically. And then also authors that they might not have heard of, but can help inform understanding specifically.
1: Don't follow Candace Owens. That's what I can say.
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Like y'all are welcome to do you, but like I'm telling you right now from my, like from my personal opinion, she has a like. She's very intelligent, but that's like I would say that's a don't. Um, in terms of like things to do, Kim, do you have? So. Um,
2: I think. Okay, this is very like base level, but follow Lizzo because to see someone who is plus size and black doing their thing and shutting down people who are like, well, you're fat, so you're not healthy, and then like people literally watching her do like these dance moves that they couldn't you do in a thousand years like I love Lizzo and I love her so much um but even not just like black folks um Virgie Tovar is amazing I um I also like she writes like articles I don't I don't know if she's wr- written a book but if she did I would read it um oh gosh um if well, you when are I... trying to get sorry go ahead
1: no, I was just gonna throw one in because I actually had to read it for one of my social work classes. The Jim Crow era. Super good book. It is it comes from like a, a different perspective, but that's super informational. Keep
2: going. Um, if you're trying to get like young adults to like get in, the hate you give is a great book. It's a lot better than the movie. Um um I oh I can't think of her name. Angela Davis, um Ijeoma Luo wrote, um, uh, so you want to talk about race. I've been reading a book called, uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, um, Reclaiming Our Faith, Our Space by Feminista Jones. Um, oh gosh, there are so many. (laughs) I don't, I never use Instagram because, like I said, it's just, like, performative activism, a black person getting murdered, and, like, That's kind of what my feed
1: is right now, but yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you can definitely follow BLM Boise. I know Black Lives Matter. Boise has a page. Um, Inclusive Idaho recently was started. And also uh, on like BuzzFeed, if anyone is ever really interested in like kind of checking their privilege, whether it be white or just privilege in general, BuzzFeed has a really awesome... Um, privilege test. It's like a hundred questions, and then it like lets you know your experience based on how you answer those questions and like what level of privilege you have. I took that, and I learned some things too
0: about my own self. So uh, what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go for it,
2: Cam. Um, I can't think of what. It's like the something. There's a number. The something frame of colorblind colorblind racism. Um, I can't think of who wrote it either, but um, also, like, if you're just starting out, and you want to know, like, how is a white person to come into these spaces, read Robin DiAngelo, her, like, I read White Fragility, and I, like, skimmed through um, what does it mean to be white, because I was doing a program through the Gender Equity Center, um, where we were talking about white privilege, and it, like, it has some really good keys that I wish that, like, White folks coming into predominantly POC spaces would read and like understand before coming in with like so much privilege, and I really like her writing style, even though Robin D'Angelo is, isn't a person of color.
0: No, thank you for all those resources. Um, continuing with resources, what advice would you give to a junior high or high school student who is currently experiencing racism at a school, but they? don't want to tell anyone due to a fear of retaliation due to the lack of diversity? Mm. Uh, that's a big one to unpack.
2: That's a really like layered question because one, like, are you, like, are you safe in the situation? Yes. that you're Like, because from what I've learned from people who go to, School here, like a lot of the schools that they go to are like a lot of people that went to school, and I know like all oh, those schools are predominantly white and just like like what support systems do you have like yes, like listen, I've been seeing all these people on Twitter that are like like if you're being racist on like in public that they're like, okay, well, let's talk to your employer, and I think that they're like like it it's just so like. Like, it's so layered because, one, like, it it can't be, like, a healthy situation if you, like, are going somewhere to receive an ed- education and you're being discriminated against. But also, like, my main thing is, like, are you safe? Like, how can we get you out of that situation? You yeah, know? that's
1: the first place that my mind went to was do you feel safe even though – I mean, and there's a difference between, like, physically safe and, like, emotionally safe for sure – But, like, do you feel physically safe? What kind of support system do you have? Do you have someone that you can, like, speak to? And, I mean, I know that we've come a long ways as well in terms of, like, counseling and mental health. But especially as, like, being someone that like, grew up in that and, like, feeling like I experienced things in maybe a different light, uh, it's not bad to, like, even if it's not like a licensed professional, but just having someone that you can talk to about and unpack those experiences. Because I completely understand and agree that it's important to have uh, strong support systems and there's only so much that we can do. And that sounds awful because it shouldn't be that way. Um, But sometimes you have to internally build up um that wall I guess of safety if you're not getting it from other avenues so having like someone you can talk to and support someone if you don't feel safe then I think by all means that it should be reported but if you don't feel comfortable having someone that can be an ear for you or help provide some sort of advice or guidance
2: yeah and like I have a lot of time on my hands right now so like if you need some support like I think a lot of the posts that we put out have my Instagram on them and I check my DMs pretty regularly just in case. And if like you need someone to like reach out to your school, I like, I, like I said, I have a lot of times on my hand and like, I like, I definitely have time to like reach out because especially like in school, like school's the one place that you deserve to feel safe. Like
0: you mm-hmm. have
2: to be there. For so long and for so many hours every day, like and especially like if it's a student that needs to be like learning better, or a teacher's that, that's getting paid and then is and is then not providing equal um, or equitable support and education to their students, like that's definitely something that needs to be addressed on a higher level.
0: And unfortunately we are running low on time, so I will be able to ask one more question, but um, I will make sure Cam's contact info is on our website. That way people can reach out to you as well as Terry. Um, Going back to the beginning with Idaho being predominantly white, um, some people do believe in Idaho that racism isn't a problem within the state. How, do you both perceive that as an issue and how that experience within Idaho would be different than such as the South or the East Coast where there are larger proportions of people of color? Ooh.
2: That's like... I know that's another oh, one to end on.
1: I can like, totally answer.
2: Okay, go ahead, Terry.
1: Because about a year ago, I actually posted an experience that I had um, at WinCo, some I experienced racism. That's, I'll leave it at that because we're short on time. Um, and I posted it in this Boise page, Boise Bench Dwellers, like, like kind of like explaining my experience and just saying, hey, everyone needs to speak up. There were a lot of people that said, "Race, it didn't used to be like this. I'm sorry you experienced that. And I said, you know, born and raised here, I assure you it has been here. Um, and... A lot of people backed me. Um, what I can say is that i I truly think that people that don't think there's a problem with racism or people that don't think that it's an issue, they are in circles in which they are not exposed to it. But I can tell you that people of color it is definitely a real problem, and it is certainly a problem today, especially considering the time that we're in and I just encourage those people that don't think racism is a thing in Idaho to do a little bit more research and get more educated because it is and I will say that till I'm blue in the face but there's my two cents it's all you can
2: yeah I definitely agree like it if one I like met people of color who are like oh I don't experience racism and then they do like research and education because they haven't had to do that before and they're like wait, these people were, like, being racist towards me, and I didn't realize it because I've had to block it out for so long, and, like, just, like, knowing that, like, Idaho is somewhere that, where, from what I've learned and from what people have told me, that it's a place where people feel like they have to assimilate just to feel safe and just to feel welcome, and it continues that idea that, like, Black people are so ghetto and rangy and that we are just so other, and just, like, taking a second to realize that, like, as like as much as people hate to hear this, all white people are racist. And you have to do the work to undo that. Whether you're, like, overtly racist or you have racist biases, like, you have to work through that. And it sucks at first, and it's uncomfortable. But I promise you, it's 1,000% more com- uncomfortable and unsafe being a Black person in Idaho. And... It just takes reading and education, watching TED Talks to actually unpack all of that and, and then actually be able to provide equitable services at your job, um, equitably hire, equitably, equitably provide housing. And like it all starts with individual, and you can take that to your team, to your supervisor, and you like using your privilege. Your white privilege, your straight privilege, your cis privilege, your able-bodied privilege is something that everyone needs to do um, to make sure that everyone in the room is heard, not just Black folks.
0: And also recognizing
2: that we, like, no matter where you are in Idaho, you are on Indigenous land. Like, I, I, like, it doesn't matter if you're in Coeur d'Alene or in Idaho Falls, we're all on Indigenous land and recognizing that there are people who are still being left out of the conversation.
1: Yeah, and two seconds, too, and then I'll be done. Um, To kind of echo what you said, Cam, in terms of, like, all white people are racist, I will tell you right now, even myself, growing up in Idaho, I didn't even know I was black until I was four. And I have had my own internalized racism that I've had to deal with. So keep that, like, just for everyone watching, like, keep that in mind, too, like, if when you're speaking with people of color, because it's not it isn't just why people like, I feel like our culture has done such a good job overall to kind of like glamorize people, POCs like struggles and challenges that it's, it's so much more than that, but.
0: Well, I want to say thank you to both of you for a very informative and a very timely conversation. And thank you to everyone who stuck it out to the end.